to another episode of the Performance Enhancing Podcast with your hosts, John and Sam. Now, we've been away for a while. We know that. We are so happy to be back. We've been trying to um, get together uh, to, to record a podcast for months. Uh, it's been a little bit a little bit difficult, and I'm going to kick it to John to explain why it's been so difficult. John? Yeah, I mean, you know, life kind of gets in the way, you know. Man makes plans and God laughs, and that's kind of exactly what happened. You know, Sam and I have always wanted to do this podcast, and we got really into it about a year ago. And right as we were getting into the full swing of things, uh, like we announced on the podcast earlier, uh, me and my wife uh, were, you know, blessed to have three baby girls, triplets. Three kids. Uh, and as you can, yeah, three kids. John so as you can imagine, three. Zero kids to three kids in one day. Yeah, basically. So, uh, as you can imagine, three kids is hard. Uh, and while, you know, Sam and I have been doing kind of our own things um, on the side, keeping up with fantasy football in the sense that, you know, Sam's been writing for Fantasy Pros, I'm writing for Number Fire. Uh, but it's been just hard to find a time to do the podcast, uh, you know, with, you know, three children that wake up every two to three hours. So finally... Ten months later, uh, we we have the ability to go ahead and re restart this. This is the the performance enhancing podcast, the reincarnation episode, <laughs> and we're we're just kind of trying to get back in the swing of things. You know, you know, get a little bit loosey goosey here, kind of go over what's been happening with the NFL uh, over the off season. Maybe talk a little bit about the drafts, some biggest stories that's coming out of there, and kind of just have a little bit of fun. Do a nice short episode just to get it back into the swing of things. Yeah, we kind of to warm ourselves back up and I'm going to say it's not only John's fault uh, that we haven't been doing this I've also been lazy as well um, I recently started something called intermittent fasting and that's been totally messing up my hours because I can only eat now for a certain uh, period during the day and I have like my hours are all like messed up I'm eating from 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. so uh, like we've been waiting to record this podcast and I just had to finish up my dinner it's almost 11 right now so now I can't eat for the next 16 hours so that's going to be exciting um, so let's try to do these podcasts uh, after my eating periods uh, and not uh, before they start because I I'll probably be a lot better to listen to uh, when I'm not hungry. Oh, we don't we don't want to listen to Cranky Sam? <laughs> no, Cranky Sam is no, no good. So right. let's get into it a little bit. As we said, we're just going to recap kind of what happened in the offseason so far. Uh, we'll go over free agency, how we feel about the free agent moves, and then just a little bit about the draft talk about guys, uh, rookies that we like, landing spots that we like, landing spots that we dislike. Um, I guess the first thing we have to cover is Odell Beckham Jr. to the Browns. John? Yeah, so this is kind of like, you know, this power move and everybody's starting to get really excited about the Browns as a, as a team, as an offense, as a defense. Their defense is, you know, being really ramped up. They have Denzel Ward, who's, you know, draft pick, who's fantastic corner and, you know, Miles Garrett and so on and so forth. But from the offensive side of the ball, Baker Mayfield is everything everybody dreamed of and more. And then now they have Jarvis Landry and David Njoku and now OBJ to go along with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That offense is just a powerhouse. And, and if recently, you just look at... Recently, they've been talking up Antonio Callaway, who's going to have a bigger role. Uh, yeah, and... I don't and know how much bigger so, it could get, but... 
Yeah, so it's 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 a little hard. It's a lot, uh, you know, with a big name like this, with a big diva wide receiver like OBJ. Um, I, I like him in the sense that he now has a real quarterback throwing to him that's young and he's tied down to him probably, hopefully, for the rest of their careers. But, you know, how much pieces of the pie can everybody have? Look, Cleveland had 574 uh Pass uh, pass call plays last season and 411 rush call plays. So like, you know, how much of that pie? How many of those throws is Baker going to be making? Especially if the defense is better, and how how many of those throws are going to go OBJ's way? If we're looking at you know 110, 120, 130 targets, how much does that mean for everybody else? Jarvis Landry's the possession guy. If OBJ's out there on the side. Um, and, you know, if you have Antonio Callaway, if you have uh, David Njoku, and then, you know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb can catch the ball as well. And then they're saying they're keeping Duke Johnson in there. To me, it's just how big of a role will OBJ have in this offense? And that kind of leads me to question marks. And because of that, we're seeing, you know, the trend of, of OBJ in terms of dynasty startups and in redraft, he's dropping where he's going now as like the fourth, fifth, or even sixth wide receiver off the board. So it's really an interesting turn for OBJ where he was the dominant force in, uh, in New York. And now he's kind of in the mix of this huge powerhouse offense. So, yeah, the, the, the way I see the situation in Cleveland, well, first of all, I love Baker Mayfield. I loved him. Uh, before the OBJ trade, you know, last year he comes in and breaks Peyton Manning's touch, rookie touchdown record uh, by a touchdown in two and a half less games than Peyton had to do it. So I was very high on on, on Baker, and I was getting him in like you know the eleventh and tenth round, maybe uh, in some best ball leagues. But now once once OBJ came over, I was like, okay, there's no more discount on Baker. Everyone everyone's high on Baker now, so it's very unlikely that I'm going to end up getting him. But the way I see the value <clears throat> in Cleveland is that. Huge boost for Baker, and I think it's actually a small boost for OBJ, even with uh, the amount of other talent that's there, and even with the competition, I think OBJ is going to be the guy, and everything else is going to be spread out. I think OBJ's value rises a little bit from you know catching passes from a uh, rotting Eli Manning to catching passes from a rising Baker Mayfield. So, and then I think the value of everybody else in Cleveland goes down a little bit. Like Jarvis, like, okay, Baker Mayfield last year prorated to a 16-game slate, throws about 560 passes. Jarvis Landry, we already saw he's not used to, he, he, he didn't get the target volume last year that he was used to getting in Miami. With Odell Beckham Jr. there, he's, he could get even less than that. And then you have, again, everyone we said, Njoku, Chubb, um, Duke Johnson, Kareem Hunt. Like they're, they're, I, I see the value for everyone else going down because I believe that OBJ is going to get his. Um, so that's how I feel about the Cleveland situation. Yeah, I mean, it's just that piece of the pie. How much is he going to get? And that really, you know, draws the question mark for me. Um, But, you know, with the fact that they have a run game, with the fact that they have a defense, uh, how much time are they going to be, you know, how much time is the offense going to be on on the field? And, like, how many pass plays are they going to actually have to be doing? I think they're going to be playing a lot less from behind. Baker will have to do a lot less magic to get the uh, team where it needs to be. So, you know, OBJ goes from exactly like what you said, OBJ goes from, uh, you know, this rotting uh, uh, Eli Manning offense where he's kind of the sole offense um, 
uh, and now he's 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 kind of part of a bigger picture. So he has to have much more of a team mentality rather than a diva mentality. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it breaking down is just OBJ commands so much attention uh, and he's going to command so much of the target share, I believe, despite what else is there. And I think everybody else is going to be grasping for what's left after OBJ has been there and, and taken his. I'm really not worried that he is going to be less valuable than he was as a giant. But let's move on to the next offseason move. Uh, this happened. Well, I just want to say I just want to say one more thing about OBJ, and that's just the like a quick thing is that if if the defense has to focus on all these guys now um, facing Cleveland, just one thing is that there will be a lot less double teams on OBJ, and so he could be open a lot. So that kind of leads to your absolutely. point. That any defense is going to have their you know going to have their hands full with like. You imagine? I'm like, I'm like so excited to watch the Browns this year. Like, I was excited last year, and now I'm like elated. Like, the Browns are going to be so much fun. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to this to the, to this next big offseason move, um, and that's with Miami uh, sending, uh, I mean, receiving Josh Rosen for next to nothing from the Arizona Cardinals, uh, and the Arizona Cardinals kind of just you know kind of you know fumbled fumbled there towards the towards the goal line they you know they had all the bargaining chips uh, with Josh Rosen prior to the draft prior to choosing Kyler Murray but the second that they drafted Kyler Murray they lost all their bargaining chips uh, in Miami uh, Sam what do you think about this move for Miami and what it does for them so again first of all I think like the Cardinals could have gotten so much more uh, for him if they would have made the move earlier um, and then they didn't. And then, you know, you, he went to Miami for next to nothing. And I, I wonder how many other teams out there, you know, could have offered a little bit more. Uh, so that's besides the point. How I think he'll do in Miami, I, I'm really not that excited. Listen, when I was watching Josh Rosen two years ago, I was watching his college film, I really liked him. I really thought he was going to be a safe uh, quarterback. I thought he had a lot of, uh, as you pointed out, Patriot qualities. Um, I thought he would have done very, very well in New England, backing up Tom Brady for a couple years and then taking over there. But I think he needs. I think he needs. You know, a bit of mentoring. I think I would love him to be with a veteran quarterback or a great quarterback mind. But like, you look at the uh, the coaching staff of of the Dolphins, and it's just not. First of all, they're rebuilding. They don't have much on the team. It's not very exciting. It's not that much better of a situation than he was in in Arizona. Um, you know, they got uh, floors from uh, the Patriots, who's going to be their head coach. He's a, mainly a defensive guy, Brian Flores. And then Chad O'Shea was an offensive guy who's their offensive coordinator now, but he mainly worked with uh, receiving groups, uh, work with receivers, and I, I'm not sure where Josh Rosen is going to get the mentorship that I think could really benefit him to being a really successful quarterback in this league. Well, so just to touch up on that exact point that you know you you said you liked him in the Patriot system. If he could have gone to the Patriot system, well, now he gets the opportunity to play to Brian Flores, who's a you know disciple of both uh, Bill Belichick and Matt Patricia. And then he gets to be, you know, under offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea, who was the wide receivers coach at in, in New England and was, you know, the protege for um, Josh McDaniels, who's, you know, this QB whisperer and has been doing fantastic things with Tom Brady for the last couple seasons. And then that, you know, the assistant head coach and the quarterbacks coach is Jim Caldwell, 
who kind of was there during uh, Matthew Stafford's rise to uh, to fame and to to uh, QB status uh, in in uh, Detroit. But for me, like one of the things that I really like about Josh Rosen going to Miami is not only does he get a fresh start, but this is an offense that you know has lost a lot of pieces in terms of its defense. And its offense has kind of you know kept itself the same. They they went ahead and re-signed Devontae Parker after Adam Gase wanted to you know get rid of him. Devontae Parker stays. Kenny Stills is still there. Um, uh, Mike Gesicki gets another year, and you know with tight ends breaking out you know later, um, and he's just a physical freak and a physical athlete. I really like that. We're talking about. Miami last year under Adam Gase, you know, ran a almost 45% uh, rush. So you're talking about 55% of the time they're calling pass plays. Josh Rosen is one of the purest passers to come out out of college in the last couple seasons. Just the way he throws the balls. Uh, You know, last offseason, I was completely gushing on Josh Rosen. And I think he has a unique opportunity to... Be a coached up a little bit by uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, get a little bit coached up by Jim Caldwell and Chad O'Shea, and I think he he has an opportunity, fresh start to make himself. And you know what? Miami has this unique opportunity where if Josh Rosen fails, they spent a second round pick in 2019 on him essentially, and so they can go ahead, you know, and go get a QB in 2020, which is going to be a much much deeper draft class. I'm just worried that he doesn't have a much better situation than he had in Arizona. I mean, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, Pro Football Focus grades and the pass blocking grades. Last year, Arizona was dead last uh, in pass blocking, and the Dolphins were 28th. Uh, like the weapons around are, are okay. Yeah, they, they've kept their offense together, but I mean, their best wide receiver is Devontae Parker, who really hasn't done. Anything really hasn't broken out, you know, over the four years that each year we thought he was going to. And, I, yeah, I, I, I guess I see your point about, you know, bringing in the Patriots coaches, but none of them were really a quarterback's coach. And I was I, like, I'm not sure that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the guy to, to mentor him. Uh, I was really hoping he would be in a better situation. But, I, I mean, I guess anything could happen. And I do think he's a very smart quarterback. Um, so maybe just another year in the league will help him. I, I definitely think he needs better blocking. Better weapons would be nice. This, this isn't again. This isn't an ideal landing spot, uh, in my opinion. But I, I am excited to watch him play. Yeah, I was actually really hoping. You know, they were they were saying, you know, oh, he, you know, there's talks about him might be going to the Patriots, and you know, I've wanted Josh Rosen to the Patriots for a very, very, very long time. Uh, really love him, and I think he would have thrived there, um, as you've said. But let's move on to the next uh, big offseason move we have here, and that is Le'Veon Bell was traded to the New York Jets. So we're staying in the AFC East. Uh, what do you think about this? Because this situation is kind of keeps on brewing. They traded well, he, him he in, was in the know, a- He was in the AFC North before, but he is... No, I'm <laughs> saying we're staying from Miami to, to uh, the Jets. Uh, okay. We're staying in the I AFC you, East. But, like, you know, they're paying him an absurd amount of money, um, and now we're finding out Adam Gase wouldn't have even done the deal, that he's, that they didn't even want him, and then they go ahead 
and fire their GM after they let him do free agency, after they let him do uh, the draft, and after they let him, you know, deal with everything. And then they're just like, goodbye. And so they're trying to get a new GM now. But Bell might be already in Adam Gase's googly eye uh, doghouse. Uh, I don't know what you think about that, but in my eyes, Bell is still still a top-level running back, and you don't pay somebody that much money to have him sit. I think Adam Gase will be quickly out of a job if uh, Le'Veon Bell is on the bench for any moment of time in the 2019 season. I agree. I agree with you there. And honestly, like, you know, it, it sounds funny calling yourself a Le'Veon Bell truther, uh, being that he's, you know, one of the best running backs in the league, or was at least last time we saw him play. But with all the doubt surrounding him right now between his year out of the league and now with the reports we're hearing that Adam Gase didn't even want him and maybe they're going to trade him, uh, I think that all this noise is going to subside during the season and Le'Veon Bell is just going to completely own again. I mean, I looked up a, I looked up a stat recently. Um, that's uh, how many, uh, how many rush, uh, running backs in the last 10 years had at least 200 carries and I think it was 80 receptions in a single season and only five running backs have done that in the last 10 years and Le'Veon Bell has done it twice. He is still only what, 26 years old, 27 years old? Yeah, something like that. Right? And it doesn't matter what Adam Gase feels about him. The fact is he's there now. He's there to stay. The Jets paid for him. I don't care if Adam Gase wanted him or not. He's there, and Adam Gase is going to use him. And I, I still think he is one of the most talented, if not the most talented, running back, uh, diverse and 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 multi multi talented running backs that we have in this game. And I just think he's going to go nuts again. And I think anybody who's doubting him is going to be severely um, mistaken. And all this noise about his not playing and, you know, the Jets, uh, Adam Gates not wanting him is just going to go away within the first couple of weeks when he shows that he's actually Le'Veon Bell. Remember me? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not listening to the noise. And, and honestly, in, in my heart of hearts, I completely, completely agree with you and I'm, and I'm drafting him that way and I'm ranking him that way. But I do want to play a little bit of devil's advocate. If you just look at the Jets team and, you know, with with Adam Gase, it might be a little bit different than what it was under Todd Bowles. But, uh, you know, under under Todd Bowles, 16.07% rush percentage in the red zone, only nine rushing touchdowns. Uh, a play calling ratio where where the rush rush percentage in general was you know just under forty five percent was forty four percent so they weren't really calling uh, rush plays but the biggest downside that I think the the biggest you know battle an uphill battle that Bell will have to face is the fact that the O line last year was ranked twenty eighth. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus and their grades. So with that kind of O-line, you know, Bell is a very patient runner. So when he's getting handed the ball, he's going to find a lot of uh, struggle to get yards before contact. However, what Bell does fantastically well is that on, on, um, on, uh, you know, 
short passes and bubble screens and things like that where he's getting, you know, tossed the ball or an HB toss like that or where he's doing basically screen passes. I think he's going to be fantastic, for, you know, combination with Sam Darnold. And that is not reliant on the offensive line. That's reliant on his skill in an open field. And I don't think there's many running backs that are better than Le'Veon Bell at doing that. Right, so again, that's that's where he's going to have that upfield battle, I think. I'm, I'm not really worried about anything, any, anything about last year. Like, last year you had Isaiah Crowell as, as your best running back. When you have a premier guy like Le'Veon Bell, you're going to find ways to get the ball in his hands because he's a magician with the ball in his hands, whether he's taking it you know, out of the backfield, whether he's uh, lining up as a receiver, whether he's you know, catching a screen, whether he's in the flat. Like, get him the ball, and, and he'll make it happen. I think they got him to be a playmaker. They paid him like a featured playmaker, like the guy that the offense is going to run around. And honestly, I was really impressed with the last uh, the last third of the season. Uh, it looked like Sam Darnold had had really started to figure things out. Um, and if he gets going, uh, that offense could be a little bit better than most people expect. Um, so, so again, I, I, I fade the noise on on, on Le'Veon Bell, and and I'm taking him. But uh, yes, for the sake that's, of time, that's the thing. To me, it's uh, it's really just that offensive line that that really. Is 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 the uh, only thing that really keeps me from putting him at a higher level than true. than he I want. Have, he did always have a very good line in Pittsburgh. Uh, that is true. Yeah. But let's talk about his former teammate Antonio Brown, who is possibly a complete psychopath now and is also a member of the Oakland Raiders. Oh, I thought you were going to say he's a member of the Blonde Mustache Club. <laughs> yeah, that too. I mean. Uh, where is, uh, like I this this guy was my favorite player for like you know ever since I we first started playing dynasty uh, football in like 2013 whatever it was like five six years ago I drafted Antonio Brown on my first ever dynasty team and he won me the league in the first year and he you know has been consistent uh, you know he, he's like the best I, I, I love this guy and then uh, he face kicked a Cleveland punter. That is true. It's he just dropped still in, the greatest uh, thing ever. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, he's like, I, I didn't see this coming. Like now, like every tweet he puts out, you ask yourself, what, what is wrong with this guy? Um, I, I, so like, I guess I'm a little bit worried from from that kind of a standpoint. Like he's kind of gone off the deep end. But if we're talking about skills. He moved like honestly. When I knew he was leaving Pittsburgh, he was gonna move down my rankings basically no matter where he went, unless he went to like you know New England or or like Indianapolis. Indy. Yeah. Um, so he, he so, moves a little down, but but not that much. He's still an incredible route runner. He's still gonna get a ton of targets from you know Derek Carr, uh, which I guess I, I don't know how much those are worth these days. But he, I, I believe, is going to be the focal point of their offense, and he's going to get volume. Uh, the question is, is it going to be quality volume? Well, yeah, yeah, he's definitely going to get the volume. We're talking about, um, you know, 49% pass plays uh, out of Oakland in, in 2018. So the play callings there, not much is going to really change in terms of that. Yeah, they have Josh Jacobs now, and, and let's call it a healthy running back. Uh, but he's also, you know, uh, kind of that pass catching back uh, a la Le'Veon Bell, or that's what he was in Alabama. He he, he kind of did that like Alvin Kamara style role where he, he could rush it, but he also caught the ball fairly well. Um, with Antonio Brown, just him, uh, 
I, I, with the amount of volume he's going to see, and who who else on that team? What is it going to be? Hunter Renfro? Is it going to be Seth Roberts? Like, give me a break. I don't see really anybody else outside of Josh Jacobs and and Antonio Brown on that team really, really producing. So Derek Carr is not going to have that much that like that plethora of players to throw to. And and a lot of people like give Antonio Brown a knock because he's getting old. But to me, that makes no sense because he it's not like he's one of those physical receivers or a fast receiver. He's not slowing down. He's a he's a meticulous route runner. That's where he gets free and that's how he gets open. And those kinds of players, you you see them with Larry Fitzgerald and those kinds of those kinds of receivers that last beyond uh, well into, you know, well past their 20s and, and into their early 30s. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald's still doing it into his mid thirties. So um, I, I really think this, we haven't seen the end of Antonio Brown and I don't see the decline yet. I like some other wide receivers just because I like their offenses better. So he's dropped a little bit for me. He doesn't have big Ben and his 5,000, uh, you know, pass attempts. Uh, but for me, Antonio Brown's still a, you know, wide receiver, one top level wide receiver. Agreed, agreed. And yeah, Antonio Brown has never been the guy to outrun a defense. He's been the guy to outsmart the defense and just creative uh, ways getting open. Um, so yeah, I, I think we can uh, we can we can both agree that Antonio Brown is still a wide receiver one. He does move down a little bit just because the the chemistry that he had with Roethlisberger, at least on the field, um, was 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 elite. Like I've never seen. Uh, a quarterback and and wide receiver who were just so in tune with each other, and Ben would just throw him the ball and he'd be there, and it, it was it was incredible um, what they had on the field. Uh, so did you see that Big Ben uh, admitted that? It wasn't Antonio Brown's fault uh, on Twitter, and then Antonio Brown uh, like tweeted back at him something like nasty, and Ben was just like, "I'm just trying to apologize, man, and you're being a dick." <laughs> I did not see that exchange, but uh, like I've seen so much Antonio Brown on Twitter, it's just it, it's out of control it's, at this it's, point. It's honestly comical. It's I, like, do we not want the Oakland Raiders uh, hard knocks right now? Yeah, oh, I totally want to see that. <laughs> that is something I would watch. Um, okay, so let's talk about our last uh, free agency Wait. move, which is Mark Ingram to Baltimore. He kind of uh, gets himself outside of the shadow of, uh, of Alvin Kamara, but goes to Baltimore where we have no idea what's really good. Like, there are like 17 running backs over there. Um, and one guy that I really like um, is Justice Hill, who... I guess we'll talk about, you know, when we talk about uh, the draft in a minute. But what do you think about Ingram in Baltimore? All right. I think with Baltimore, just this the fact that they have this now high-powered athletic offense after this draft. You know, they got um, Hollywood Brown. They got Miles Boykin. They've got Lamar Jackson there. Mark Ingram, Justice Hill, these really athletic guys. I think it's going to be really, you know, just speed and and making plays as an offense. And Mark Ingram, I think, really fits what they want to be doing. They want to be running the ball. They want to be doing these short passes and having their their receivers and their running backs making the plays. So Mark Ingram, I think, really fits well in, in Baltimore and what they're trying to do, at least, uh, you know, for however long he's going to be there, one or two seasons. Mark Ingram catches the ball fairly well. We saw that with New Orleans in New Orleans. And uh, he's he's a very good rusher, and that's what they want to be doing. They want to be controlling the game with their rush. Um, they lost a lot of pieces on defense, so they're really going to be putting it in Lamar Jackson's hands uh, to get it done. And I think Mark Ingram is one of those pieces. 
But a player that I even like more than Mark Ingram is exactly who you're talking about, Justice Hill, because I think he fits what they want to be yeah, doing think, even better. I think exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think I agree with what you're saying about Mark Ingram to a, to a certain extent, but I think Justice Hill fits, fits that offense even better. Like, Justin Hill is fast. He's slippery. He's great in the passing game. I think he'll go so well with Lamar Jackson. Like, I'm very excited for, for Justice Hill. I think this is going to be, you know, uh, Mark Ingram's year with the Ravens. Uh, but I think Justin Hill is going to start cutting into that uh, at some point, and, and he may be the running back they need uh, for their future. I mean, I, I love Justice Hill. I've been talking about Justice Hill since I started watching tape. Yeah, so for me, like, you, you have the you have the big top-tier uh, running backs that we're going to talk about um, with, you know, Josh Jacobs, uh, David Montgomery, and Miles Sanders. And that's really what you're going to get out of the first round. And at the end of the first round and, you you know, the beginning of the second round is where you're going to see Justice, still start, Justice Hill start falling out. Right now his ADP is, like, middle to end of the second round. So you're getting great value, I feel, um, and it might not be 2019, although I think he'll have a very good role in 2019. I think this time next year will be very hard to buy Justice Hill. Right now, drafting him at, at the end of the second round and even at the beginning of the second round, I think you're getting quite value. But there is that teardrop because because of who they are. But I, Justice Hill, I think, is poised to have a very, very nice, uh, very nice uh, season in 2019 and a career in Baltimore. Completely, completely agree. I mean, Mark Ingram turns 30 this year. Um, I think they drafted Justice Hill because, you know, that, that they saw him being uh, his replacement ultimately and being a guy that fits really well. Uh, give him a year to, you know, kind of get the NFL under his belt. You know, he was a, he was a fourth-round pick. You know, they, they didn't draft him any earlier than that. But I think what he offers is exactly what the Ravens' offense is going to need. And Mark Ingram is going to do a good job of it this year, but Hill is going to be um, spliced into it as well. And, you know, just as you said, Hill is going to be a lot harder to buy next year um, when Ingram is 30 going on 31. And uh, it could be a completely different situation. You know, that's all, that's assuming that Lamar Jackson has a good season and Baltimore is successful with their offensive plan and everything's still in the same place. But let's use this uh, Justin Hill uh, discussion to launch into talking a little bit about the draft. Um, obviously, the draft is like our favorite part of the offseason. We study rookies for two, three, four, five, however many months, uh, whenever you start. And then we, we learn their landing spots, and then we, we, we match up who we were high on and, and, and who fell in the, to the right place, and we start making our rankings. So I'm just, uh, you want to start kicking off, we'll, we'll go with, uh, just for, for the issue of time, uh, let's just go, me and you, we'll each say a couple of guys we like and we like the landing spot, and then we'll say a couple of guys that we didn't like their landing spot, and so I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, so I'm going to start off with my top receiver here, and that's Nikhil Harry. And for me, it's kind of obvious. Uh, going into the draft, he was, you know, my third wide receiver. Um, and that was after uh, Hakeem Butler and Kelvin Harmon. And seeing those guys go a little bit later in the NFL draft, uh, they're still up there for me. I still really like them. But Nikhil Harry going at the end of the first round to the Patriots, uh, 
Um, I, I think he just lands in a situation where he fits perfectly in that offense. Now, everybody's – this is an argument that you and I have had and you've made to me that he's going to be tied to Tom Brady at most, what, two years, maybe max three years. And I agree to that. But in, in, a, in, a, in a dynasty league where you're drafting him, uh, if you're getting three championships out of that because you drafted Nikhil Harry or two championships because of that – um, I think you know you're a god amongst men getting getting two championships because you've drafted somebody who's who's doing fantastic. But beyond that, I think his his role and the way he plays as a receiver, he's a big physical receiver that makes a lot of a lot of defenders miss once he has the ball in his hands. He's fantastic with the ball in his hands, and he's that big possession guy that can go over the middle of the field, go down the sideline, be a big target in the end zone. He's kind of that Gronk replacement for them. But let's look beyond Tom Brady, which I don't like thinking about, but there will be a time beyond Tom Brady. And if Nikhil Harry is still on that team, he will be that possession receiver, that, that trustworthy receiver, and that big body receiver for whoever is the quarterback after after Tom Brady. And if they're even a halfway decent quarterback, let's say on the level of, of an Andy Dalton, we're, we're talking about you know Nikhil Harry, who could be now, I'm not saying he's A.J. Green, but he still he has the potential to be that guy. And if he has a quarterback like an Andy Dalton throwing to him, he could still be a low-end wide receiver one season in and season out. So I really like this landing spot. Um, I mean, I think I would have liked Nikhil Harry pretty much anywhere as long as it, as long as it wasn't Baltimore. And the fact that, you know, there was that draft capital, you know, uh, a lot of teams were really interested in him and and Bill Belichick, you know, the last two seasons has chosen um, to pull the trigger on offensive players, offensive weapons. Last year, Sony Michel, and this year it's uh, Nikhil Harry. It, it, you know, Bill Belichick is is not one to pull the trigger on those kinds of players in the first round unless he's sure. And I think he's uh, Nikhil Harry is one of those things that's a sure thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't really disagree with anything that you're saying here. I'm starting to like this landing spot for Harry more and more. Um, the Patriots needed an X receiver, and they got like the, the best possible one in the draft. He could really do it all. Um, he, he has amazing hands. He's great with the ball in his hands. He, he his adjustment to the ball is is great. He can run over the middle of the field. He can he can run deep. We you know he he ran a much faster 40 than many people thought that he was going to run. So he's fast, he's big, he's aggressive. I really like it. And yeah, he's going to have Tom Brady for a year or two. But as you said, he's going to establish himself hopefully as the, you know, the receiver of that offense. So any quarterback he inherits, uh, he's still going to get the volume and hopefully uh, their next quarterback will be at least as good as an Andy Dalton, which you said Andy Dalton produces A.J. Green. So I, I agree. I love, I love Nikhil Harry. I think he's pretty much unquestionably the wide receiver one in, in rookie drafts. Uh, now I'm going to go to a guy who I like, who I know that you don't like, but I, I have to talk about this. And I know that the, uh, most of the fantasy community is still split on DK Metcalf. Um, I was, of course, like everyone else was, a little bit you know, taken aback by his agility scores. Okay, that's not so great. But landing with Russell Wilson in Seattle, I think, was amazing for him. I think it fits. I think he's going to fit Russell Wilson's style of play. Russell Wilson runs around, extends the play, and a cornerback is not going to be able to keep up with DK Metcalf despite his agility for more than a couple seconds. 
and all Russell Wilson has to do is extend the play and chuck it up there to DK. And I know that's not going to be every single play, but I think the way that offense moves and the way Wilson plays, I think Metcalf is going to fit in very well. Um, Doug Baldwin uh, has retired, so he's not up there taking targets. Now you got Tyler Lockett and David Moore, neither of which um, have ever had more than 71 targets in a season. And I know that you know they're going to get a bump up, and Russell Wilson doesn't throw that much. But I think that DK has a very, very easy path to early volume. I think he's going to get the ball a lot, and they're going to look for him in the end zone. You know, they don't really have a tight end to speak of right now. I just, I love the landing spot for DK. And the, I mean, the only knock on DK really is his agility, and I just, he's so good in so many other ways, just being bigger and stronger and faster than everybody else. And I think. Pete Carroll and, and Russell Wilson are going to be able to figure out how to use that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not as uh, hating on DK Metcalf as I was pre-draft. My pre-draft analysis was him. Well, he he ran exactly so saying, one. So you're saying you're saying the draft spot did help you a little bit on your yeah on exactly like okay. I, I, he moved up my rankings after the draft and to, and to me the big thing was the fact that he went to Seattle and he has this opportunity. Pre-draft, looking at his tape, you know, he ran two routes. It was either the go route or, you know, the run out and curl back. And just to me, that, that like, there was nothing about his tape that I liked besides the fact that he was a big, you know, mofo. Like, that was a big dude and still is a big dude that's going to be out there. And and, and to that, that, was, that was my hindrance. But like you said, everything you said that Russell Wilson extends plays, he's really, really fast. He's going to get down there. He's going to be the big receiver in the end zone, just like the same he was in Ole Miss. So to me, I think to start off his career, he's going to be kind of this like uh, boom and bust player. I, I don't want to compare him to like Deshaun Jackson or Tyreek Hill because he's just not their size, but he is their speed. So there's that. And, and and it's it's really hard. It's gonna. I think it's really gonna be hard to peg which weeks uh, DK Metcalf is gonna have big weeks and big 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 plays. And and I think like he could have a couple weeks where he has you know like three or four receptions for fifty yards, and a couple weeks where he has you know three or four receptions for fifty you know for one hundred and fifty yards and three touchdowns because he had a couple long touchdowns that Russell Wilson threw a bomb to him. And I think it's gonna be really hard to gauge when that's gonna be. And I find myself drafting DK Metcalf actually in best ball a lot. Um, but with, with, with him in terms of dynasty, like it's going to be really hard to peg what he's going to be producing from a week in to week out, you know, um, uh, on a week, week in, week out basis. But like, look, I'm looking at him with my projection at, you know, 50 to 60 receptions, and like, you know, 700 to 800 yards, which is still, you know, probably, you know, in the wide receiver at low end wide receiver two. Uh, to end the season. It's just a question of that consistency and production that has me worried. Yeah, so so pre-draft, I, I thought the same. I mean, I was definitely higher on him than you were pre-draft, but I also thought, like, I, I thought of him pre-draft as the guy with the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. Because guys like that who are just big and strong and, and you know, can... Uh, 
uh, can't really run a diverse route tree. A lot of times they don't, they're not successful in the NFL. Uh, I thought DK had a chance to be above that. Um, and if he was, then he was going to be huge. But there's always, you know, the fact that not always these, these receivers don't always uh, pan out. But with this landing spot, I'm a lot more confident on him. And I think a lot of his um, instability is going to be rooted in the fact that Russell Wilson doesn't throw that much, and they're they're uh, dedicated to the run game in Seattle. Yeah, but, I mean, if you if you look at it, no other team uh, ran the ball more than Seattle last season. Five hundred thirty-four rush calls. Um, that's a fifty-six percent uh, rush uh, rate, and uh, that's you know miles ahead of the next highest team, which is Tennessee, which was fifty-one percent. So, like, like I, I hear that, and and the and the throwing there uh, will be less. But you have to think about Doug Baldwin is all but retired. They released him, so he's gone from Seattle. Tyler Lockett moves into the slot, and now they don't really have that burn wide receiver that's going to go deep, that's going to go ahead and free up the rush, and that's why they, they got, went and got DK Metcalf. He's, he's a player that might end up helping uh, the football team more than he helps your fantasy team in that sense because he's going to go ahead and take defenders off the line um, and free up the rush a little bit more for uh, Chris Carson and uh, Rashad Penny. So right. it's, I just think I think he's going to get a decent chunk of the target share, uh, meaning I don't think he's like I think he's going to be the second most targeted guy on the team by midway through uh, the season. That's my projection, but the fact that they just don't throw the ball that much is what is going to keep him unstable as a you know week to week usable startable wide receiver. All right, but let me let, let's let me, move on. Let's move on. Yeah, let's let's move on. Let's let's go to one of my uh, favorable landing spots that uh, initially I didn't like. Draft night I didn't like, and that's Miles Sanders to the Eagles. But as I've sat and thought about it in the last you know months since the draft, Miles Sanders to the Eagles makes a lot of sense. Now think about what Doug Peterson has had to deal with. Everybody comes out and says, oh, yeah, well, the Eagles, they always want a running back by committee. They don't, you know, have one running back that's the guy. Okay, I've done extensive, extensive research on running back by committees. There's very few teams that have ever really wanted to have committees. You know, what comes to mind really is the Cincinnati Bengals when they had Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard. Um, Maybe uh, a little bit of Detroit when they had Reggie Bush. But like... To me, no team wants a committee. They want one running back. And the only time they really have committees is because they don't have the right running backs to have a star running back, uh, uh, one running back role. Uh, and instead, they have an RBBC, a running back by committee. Sanders is that guy. I mean, we saw him take a 71% share of, of you know, all the rushes at Penn State last season after Saquon Barkley, uh, Saquon Barkley left. So Sanders is that guy. He's fantastic at moving. He's, he's great at juking. Um, some of the, some of the, you know, uh, tape that you see on this guy, he's so patient. A lot of Le'Veon Bell comes out of him. Um, and I really like him. I'll, just a really great patient runner. I see a lot of Dion Lewis in him as well when he was on the Patriots. And, and I think he lands in a great spot where he has a very high volume offense, an offense that will be scoring a lot. And you want high scoring offenses for your running backs. And I think he will be that guy. Please don't tell me it's going to be Jordan Howard because Miles Sanders can outrun him and outcatch the ball from 
him any day of the week, and it's not going to be old man Darren Sproles or any of the other guys like Josh Allen. Like, to me, Miles Sanders has this complete... Josh Adams, sorry. Um, like, to me, you know, Miles Sanders has this completely, you know, tied up in a bow, and barring any in- injury, this guy is the RB1 on this team, and there's not, like, any ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Miles Sanders. I mean, I love Miles Sanders. He was my, like, he was my favorite running back pre-draft. Um, then once the draft happened, uh, both Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, who I like their spots a lot better. I think they have a much clearer path to be the guys uh, where they landed. I, they, they surpassed him, and Miles Sanders is now uh, my running back three. But you look back, Philadelphia, the Eagles haven't, really had a, you know, one running back team since LaShawn McCoy was traded. I mean, they've had, like, DeMarco Murray and Ryan Matthews and then Jay Ajayi and, and uh, LeGarrette Blunt and uh, Darren Sproles and Josh Adams and, uh, like, a whole host okay, of but, like, of, outside, of, I, outside of DeMarco Murray and LaShawn McCoy, they haven't really had star running backs. Like, okay, give me a break right. with LeGarrette Blunt and Josh Adams and Darren Sproles um, and... and I'm, no, I'm not... And I'm Jay not, Ajayi. So I'm like, not saying that those guys were meant to be the number one running Well, DeMarco Murray, we thought, was going to be the number one running back. And then they had Ryan Matthews. Uh, they had well, Ryan the, Matthews as the, well. That, that, was that, was, whole... that, was, that was the coach's fault. Let's, let, I mean, they just misplayed that to begin with. And, and DeMarco Murray wanted out of there as soon as, you know, they started putting Ryan Matthews in. And they were I'm playing just the saying, high... you're, yeah. making the, you're making the argument that... Because they drafted Miles Sanders, they are going to stop with this running back by committee nonsense, and he's going to be the guy because he can be the guy. And I'm just saying I want to believe that, but nothing is pulling me to believe that yet. Uh, so I'm a little bit more cautious on it than you are. Yeah, I just, I just, you know, I guess I'm looking at it from my research standpoint that teams from a year like you got to look at it from year to year and what you'll see from year to year is is teams basically went from rbbc's drafted or traded for a real running back and all of a sudden they stopped having running back by committees it's 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 just the way it happens i i Time and time again, I've been doing this research. I went back uh, till from 2010 to 2018. I've done I've done and looked at running backs and running back by committees and and evaluated teams. Uh, and you just see this time and time again that that running backs like running back by committees is is almost always. And I'm not going to say it's always because there are certain cases where you see the team really wanted a committee. But um, I, I even did the research. I think it, I think it was 12 12 teams out of in the last eight seasons had two running backs with 200 plus carries so like our bbc is very very hard to come by that works and when it works that's it's usually schemed that way uh usually you're looking for a uh for a running back to be your start and i really think miles sanders is going to be that guy they the draft capital seems to seems to point in that direction as well Right. I mean, also, one, another thing on that note is I think some people get confused about what running back by committee is. Like, if a guy's getting, you know, there's always going to be other running backs to spell the guy, change the pace back, maybe a guy who catches passes a little bit better. But, you know, if a guy's getting, what, what, do you, what, what did you define it as, 60% of the carries? Yeah, so, so I have a more of a uh, harder ar- algorithm than just, like, a percentage of carries and a percentage of touches. It, uh, but but a good way, like, a good example of, of 
not having RBBC and still having a bell cow back. If you look at New England in 2018, Sony Michelle is still the bell cow back, but James White finished uh, higher than Sony Michelle. Um, that has a little bit to do with the fact that Sony Michelle uh, didn't play some of the games. But Sony Michelle overwhelmingly had more carries than James White. He overwhelmingly had more carries than Rex Burkhead. And he he outtouched James White uh, two, two, 220 to, I think it was 207, 208. So, um, just like, if you look at those metrics, uh, yeah, it's not going to show up as a running back by committee. James White, for all intents and purposes, might as well have been a slot-wide receiver for New England last season with an RB, you know, before his name. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little bit more harder than that, but if you do do a ratio of, uh, (laughs) do you do anyway, if you're doing a ratio of the, uh, of the, you know, touches of the RB one to the RB two, if you're getting about, uh, 60, uh, 60 to 65% uh, ratio of RB one to RB two, you're looking at a bell cow back. Um, and some are better than others, but that that's that what really defines a bell cow. If you're you're overwhelmingly touching the ball and out snapping the other running backs on your team. All right. So listen, just for the sake of time and for the sake of my battery here, um, you know, we said we kind of wanted to keep this one short. We're already going on 50 minutes. Uh, but I'm going to tell you one. I'm going to talk about one more guy who I don't like his landing spot. And then we'll kind of uh, wrap it up unless you have uh, a guy you'd like to talk about as well. My guy that I was really disappointed in where he landed was A.J. Brown. I was very into A.J. Brown. I think he was my wide receiver one before the draft. And then he lands in Tennessee. And that's just that's just awful. I mean, Marcus, Mar- like, Marcus Mariota has been an average to below average quarterback in the league. He goes to, you know... The Titans, where they have Corey Davis there, they just signed Adam Humphreys to play out of the slot. I, I, like Adam, like uh, AJ Brown is, I think, from a skill standpoint, will will can win that spot. But at the same time, Mariota isn't good. The the, the Titans are just like they, they run the ball a lot, um, and when they throw, they don't throw well. I it just there's so much bad that I wanted I, I wanted him to land on so many other teams, and I'm just really sad about this. Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about no no other team outs, uh, outside of Seattle ran the ball more than Tennessee. Um, and my only kind of question for you there is, to me, the biggest question is not whether it's Marcus Mariota throwing him the ball, because I think this is a prove-it year for him. Like, if Mariota, he has literally everything going for him. He has the receivers, he has the running backs, and he has the defense. So for him, if he doesn't succeed this, se- this season, I think he's out the door. Um, so there's that. So like to me, there's a very good chance that, you know, Mariota's not throwing the ball to AJ Brown this time next season. But, but the bigger question to me is Corey Davis. Look, you have the big tight end, the X, uh, sorry, the big wide receiver, the X receiver in Corey Davis, AJ Brown primary primarily played the slot in Ole Miss and only when DK Metcalf went down did he you know go to the outside and prove that he can play on the outside what is what is uh what is AJ Brown's role here with you know Deion Lewis kind of you know being that receiver out of the backfield a la James White and uh and having AJ Brown there and then uh having uh uh what's his name Taylor Taylor like to me there's 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 a lot of pieces that 
really should go right for for Mariota here. But fitting AJ Brown into a into into the pie, the way we were talking about OBJ, fitting him into the pie, and 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 it's a pie where 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 they don't throw the ball all that much. Last year, four hundred and thirty-seven uh, times. It, it, it like I struggle to really see. Uh, AJ Brown being productive in 2019, and that's not to say that with a new QB and a new offensive scheme, he might not be better. But I, it's hard for me to see him being productive, uh, even even in a couple of years. Right. So, so my my biggest issue is I, I believe I believe AJ Brown has the talent uh, to to work his way up the up the ladder and and on to, into a starting role. I think any quarterback would be lucky to have. Uh, Corey Davis as the X receiver and AJ Brown in the slot. I think that's huge. And then they got the one-two punch with Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. The, the issue is, is is Marcus Mariota. And if what you're saying is it ends up being true that Mariota, you know, is in his last year in Tennessee, then you just have quarterback uncertainty because it's no guarantee that they're gonna, you know, you know, get a great free agent quarterback or trade for someone or or draft someone that ends up being good right away. Like there's just there's so much uncertainty there. Like Mariota right now is not good. So the only chance is the like either he's still not good and then their quarterback situation is still uncertain or like you're betting on him becoming good this year. Like I feel like it's so rare for if he's not good in the next year they're gonna have some awesome quarterback. Like the chances of him having a good quarterback situation in the next two or three years is low, and, and that's what sucks. I, I, it's not so much of a, you know, where does he fit into the scheme, because I think talent-wise he will work his way up there. I, I'm just worried about who's throwing him the ball and the, the uncertainty that exists for the future uh, in Tennessee. All right, for my for the last guy that we're going to talk about here and my kind of disappointment in the draft is is – a receiver that went to Baltimore. We, as a, I think, as an industry industry said, any receiver that goes to Baltimore is not a receiver we really want to deal with. And that's Miles Boykin. I was pretty darn high on Miles Boykin uh, pre-draft. He wasn't even the first receiver they took. What? I'm saying he wasn't even the first receiver they took. Yeah, I, well, I was really low on on Hollywood Brown. I really don't like him. And uh, if you ever heard me rant about Tyreek Hill, and I know Sam has, then you know how I feel about uh, uh, Marquise oh, Brown. Man. Well, then maybe we need to have a discussion on the next podcast about Hollywood Brown. But that's yeah. that, that'll be for another time. You talk about Miles Boykin now. Yeah. So, but for me, Miles Boykin, he's just big and physical and he high points the ball so well he tracks the ball really well i think he he like on any other team he has the potential to be a stud wide receiver a you know we're talking about high end wide receiver to even wide receiver one talent there and then he goes ahead and lands he's just a physical freak and physical athlete and he lands in baltimore where you have lamar jackson who threw 170 passes last season 170 passes over seven games that he started. And so it's just like, that's, you know, with a 58% completion rate and like maybe, yeah, he gets to be a little bit better in his next season. But the guy is really, you know, a rush a rusher who happens to be the one that's, you know, being the being the play caller. He had uh, 695 yards on 147 attempts, meaning he almost rushed the ball as often as he threw the ball. And just, I don't see them throwing the ball all that often this season. And it's really going to, the ball in Baltimore is going to go through Mark Ingram and Justice Hill uh, and Gus Edwards. And I, I just don't know where they're going to find um, 
find the ability to go ahead and pass to Miles Boykin. We saw uh, John Brown basically fail in Baltimore once Joe Flacco let uh, stop, you know, being the QB and Lamar Jackson started. And so to me, I was so high on this guy. He's just so athletic. He's so perfect to be a stud wide receiver. And he falls in Baltimore uh, where he's kind of clouded behind the Lamar Jackson wall. I mean, I think uh, based on what you were saying, I think Miles Boykin actually has the skill set to be successful with a Lamar Jackson kind of a go up and get it receiver. But yeah, there's there's not going to be any consistent volume or 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 accuracy coming out of Lamar Jackson. And I'm getting the the warning light on my battery. So let's go ahead and wrap things up over here. I'm so happy we got to do this. Uh, hopefully, we'll make it uh, a once a week thing again. Um, Ah, it's just great to be talking football again. Yeah, it's fantastic. And this is, you know, uh, my favorite part of the season that isn't, you know, actual watching the games of football. I love the offseason. I love these kinds of discussions. So we'll get really back into the swing of things next week. But great, glad to be back. Don't forget to uh, like us and you know, give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to us. You can find us everywhere on Stitcher, on Google Play, and uh, on iTunes. And uh, go ahead and find us at J-O-N underscore M-A-R-G-U-L-I-S and at A-V-I-S-H-A-I-41 for Sam. And that's it for this show, guys. Have a great one.